Our scripture today is uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 14 through 13, and chapter 10, verses 10 through, uh, chapter 10, verses 23 through 32. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods or many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. One of those phrases that Uh, You hear quite often, it's kind of a common uh, English phrase that I always really like, uh, and I like the more casual version, Uh, but it's this phrase like, read the room. You ever heard that? Like somebody comes in and and maybe something serious is going on and they come in like with this this, like joking attitude. I like the dude read the room better, Uh, but uh, it's, it's this concept of like, do you have situational awareness? of what is happening around you? Are you able to enter into a space uh, and look around and kind of feel uh, what's going on, whether it's the emotions of the other people, it's kind of their body language, it's so much nonverbal, it can be very difficult, uh, I think, for many of us, but uh, there's a few keys on on how to do it well, and this does connect to the sermon, by the way. Uh, There's a few keys on how to do this well, but but a lot of it is nonverbal, and a lot of it looks more like asking more questions than, than saying statements or, or listening a lot more than talking. Uh, and some of us are naturally gifted at it, and, and, and all of us can tell when it's done poorly. 
unless you're the person doing it, right? So, so we can all feel uh, when it's wrong. It's actually so common that in a lot of sitcom shows, uh, it's one of those repeated jokes that happens a lot. I mean, you can think of any, any favorite TV show from any year, and I'm sure there's a scene where two people are having a really, really serious conversation, something uh, really hard has happened. Maybe one of them has received news uh, of some life-changing event in their life, and then the third person, who's always kind of like the fool uh, in, the, in the little skit going on, bursts into the room and, I don't know, tells some funny joke, uh, and then there's just that, that, that little music. That's, uh, and, and then you uh, just feel this awkwardness, right? I mean, that's what the writer's trying to get you to, they're trying to get you to feel, in general, in this, in this example, they're trying to get you to feel that awkwardness, to feel what's going on. And I think that is a little bit uh, of kind of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here. So we've been in this sermon series. We're going through 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're to this section of chapters 8 through 10. Uh, he's talking about food that's been sacrificed to idols, but he's kind of saying, hey, early Corinthian church, read the room. There's, there's situations going on here where your actions are hurting other people and, and you're not aware of it. You're actually more worried about being right than you are about that other person. And they're not just always random other people. Some of these are their brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and the Corinthian church is coming at this issue, this specific issue on what to do with food, sacrifice to idols. Uh, and we'll get more into that later. But, but they're coming at it with this spirit that says, I want to be right. Not the spirit that says, I want to know how to love that other person well. I want to know how to, how to live in harmony with, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, even when we disagree. And we know we disagree. Even, even when times are hard, I want to know how to do that well. And, and Paul is kind of calling them to something higher. He's saying, it's not, it's not just about if you're right or you're wrong, and can you eat this food? And that's where I think it applies to, to us as the modern-day church so much. I don't know about you. I've been offered food, sacrificed to idols uh, very recently. Uh, you're supposed to laugh about that. Uh, this is not a common thing. So, so I don't come to chapters 8 through 10 and go, oh, this applies directly to my life in this really obvious way. But it does apply directly in the way that, like, I don't know about you, but I kind of like to be right. Right? I mean, so, sometimes... I'll, I'll even be guilty of, I like to be right, sometimes even if it means that I'm not loving someone else well. And, and we all fall into this trap, right? So, so as we enter into this, these verses, let's kind of keep this in the forefront of our mind. Not only are we learning about an ancient culture, an ancient time, what was going on then, uh, but we're learning how this applies to us, how it applies to our relationships, and how we live out uh, as fellow followers of Christ uh, alongside these people in uh, the ancient city of Corinth. Little background information. Uh, Corinth, which is uh, the city that, you know, Corinthians is written to. Uh, it's this major port city in the ancient world, in the ancient Mediterranean world. It's, it's actually at this cross-section of, of sea travel and land travel. Uh, you can do both, and, and it was... Uh, a lot easier to take your ships, in particular, bring them into the port on one side, and then they would transfer all the goods onto another ship, and then you would continue sailing. And what you did was you avoided this really dangerous stretch of, of the Mediterranean coastline. Um, and you paid money to do it, 
right? So, so as you go there, it's, it's worth the money. You pay the money, and it means the city of Corinth, the people that work there, uh, they're making money off of this trade, and it also is attracting people from all over their known world that are now living there. Uh, it's kind of this mix of all these different cultures. Uh, it's actually this mix of, of uh, not just languages, not just that kind of thing, but, but actually they're worshiping different gods from all over the world. There's many temples. We can see this through archaeology. There's, there's many temples there, and they go to gods from all over the Mediterranean world. There's temples in Corinth to Egyptian gods. Why? Because there's Egyptians living there, and they, and they were continuing to worship their gods. And there's temples, of course, to Greek gods. Corinth is in, is in Greece, so that's not surprising. There's, there's temples to Roman gods. There's, there's temples to all sorts of gods, and it's this mix of cultures. And how do they interact? And then in the first century world, Paul comes as a missionary with the good news of who Jesus is. And, and he comes first to the Jewish population that's already living there and and saying, the Messiah has come. This one promised about in the Old Testament is here. And some of them start to follow Jesus. And we read about this in the book of Acts. And, and then others reject Paul. And they actually kick him out violently. Uh, they remove him from their synagogues. And Paul says, okay, then I'm going to go to the non-Jewish population. He calls them the Greek population or the Gentile population. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to tell them who Jesus is. And Paul is there for about a year and a half, and he's building this, this brand new church. These new people that are following Jesus, and they're, they're combined, but they're, they're culturally pretty separate. And he's there for about a year and a half. He moves on in his missionary journeys. Uh, we're told that he starts receiving letters from this young church, asking him questions. And 1 Corinthians, along with 2 Corinthians, is one of his letters back, answering some of these these problems that have come up in the church. And a lot of the problems have to do with this division. How do we live as one church when so many of us come from this Jewish background and, and then so many of us come from this Gentile, this non-Jewish background, and yet now we're called to be brothers and sisters in Christ? But we're both pretty sure we're right. <laughs> right? You see that tension there? We're both pretty sure that how we view the world uh, that we're correct. And, and what Paul is doing really big picture-wise is he's saying, well, you're kind of right, but actually when you accepted Jesus, that should have changed everything about your life. You can't accept Jesus and leave it as this one little side section. Oh, I accept Jesus, I put that on my mantle, and then I just kind of move on, and I live my life how I was. Right, again, I mean, thank God this doesn't apply to the church today. Uh, but, you know, some, some people accept Jesus and they kind of put him off to the side and then they say, but I'm still the same, you know, business person as I was. I'm still the same husband as I was. I'm still the same father as I was. Whatever, whatever other area of your life, um, it, it starts to feel more vulnerable when you start letting Jesus affect those things, right? And that's what Paul is calling them to. He's saying, this relationship with Jesus, this should matter in everything. This should matter in your whole life. So, so here we are, um, and we have this, this Jewish and this Gentile divide, and one of the main things that they're dividing over is food. Seems a little silly at, at first. Uh, here's, here's what's going on. So again, they're in this multicultural world, many, many temples to many, many gods, um, and these events of worshiping at these temples are also mixed into just being in the culture. Being in the time. So 
Uh, sometimes they're eating food that has been sacrificed to one of these other gods. So you've got to kind of put on your ancient world uh, hat here, but, but think of it. When you sacrifice, uh, let's say you bring this animal, uh, you're going to sacrifice this cow to this god, you don't burn the whole thing. Think of how much food they would burn. I mean, if you just read any part of the Old Testament, you read about how many sacrifices are going on. They actually burn portions of it. And we're told this in, in the Old Testament as far as how uh, they worshiped God in the temple, that they would burn the fatty part. Sometimes they would burn uh, certain organs they were told to burn. And then the rest of it, uh, in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people, that was for the, the tribe of the Levites, the ones that were running the temple, they could have that meat. That was how they lived. Well, what's happening in Corinth here is that there's like this, there's like the regular meat market, and then there's like the temple sacrifice meat market. I don't know if it's cheaper. I don't know if it's more expensive. I don't know what exactly is going on. I'm guessing it's cheaper because they all want to eat it. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of food to be had. They're not just going to waste it. Uh, so it's, it's not uncommon, apparently, in Corinth that, that you go to these events and the food that's being served was previously sacrificed. Sometimes really significantly. Sometimes like that's kind of the point of what we're doing. We're having this celebration, and we sacrifice to this God, and then we're going to celebrate. Other times, it's, it's a little more like you went to your friend's house, uh, and the food that they happened to be serving, they bought from Market B instead of Market A, uh, and it's already been sacrificed to, I don't know, Zeus or, or whoever else. And, and the Christians, early on, they're saying, what do we do with this meat? And depending on their own background, they've come to two totally different conclusions. The, the Jewish Christians, the one that have that Jewish background, cannot fathom eating this meat. They've, they've already been kind of set apart from society as a whole uh, quite a bit. So they already are kind of living parallel lives with a lot of people in their culture. Uh, so that part is not foreign to them. And, and they're saying, we, we just, I mean, this food was sacrificed to this other god. We only follow uh, the God from Scripture, the one true God, the God that made everything. We're not, we're not going to eat this meat. We don't think it's right to eat this meat. It, it feels uh, like a violation. It feels like we'd be worshiping this other God, and we would never do that. right? And we can kind of understand where they're coming from. Uh, and then you have another group, largely made of the, the Greek or the Gentile Christians, that, that now understand that there is one true God, that that God made everything, that that God made this animal, and that this animal was then sacrificed to nothing more than a stone or a wood statue. And by the way, God made that stone, and God made that wood. You get what they're saying? Like their, their worldview is that like, this is God's anyway. So somebody else kind of tried to worship something with it, but, but we believe in one true God, and, and they're really not feeling bad about eating this meat. Uh, I don't like I said, maybe, maybe it's cheaper. I don't know why they want it. But, but they're kind of, they're okay with it, and then the Jewish Christians are not, and it's causing this divide, this really strong divide. And they're questioning, like, can we even be brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we meet at the same places? Can we do the same things? Can we live life alongside each other? Or is this too big of a thing, and we must separate? Again, we can think, um, 
we can thank God that this kind of issue stopped 2,000 years ago in the church, right? That we've, that we've stopped disagreeing to the point where we're like, I don't even worship with that person. I don't even talk with that person. Oh, that person's a Christian? I don't even believe it. I don't even, I don't even follow them, right? We have all of these issues, all of these things, and, and I think what Paul is saying is, is directly applying to this. How do we live in this complicated world where it feels so important to be right, and then we put loving the other person so much lower on the to-do list, right? That we're supposed to be right, uh, and then down low, we can't do it. Let's go to chapters 8 through 10 here. So first, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 4 through 6. You could read all of it. It would all be really great. Um, but I just don't have time to read all of it up here. So please read it on your own time. There's your homework. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 4, or verse 4, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. Again, this is Paul addressing this issue. He says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. Right, clearly the church had asked him about this. About food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And that there is no God but one. But even if there are so-called gods, which are in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, and he says lower, you know, lowercase g, gods, and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came, and from whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come, and all uh, through him, or and through him we live. So Paul is kind of saying, first things first, yes, I agree. It, he's quoting, so it appears that they said that in their letter to him. Um, that they said, well, we know that there's only one God, and we know that this, you know, so what do we do about this food? So, so Paul says, yes, I agree. There is only one God. Uh, there's no other gods but one, uh, meaning that God is God. Uh, the, this Gentile idea that, that they had, this Gentile Christian idea that, that this, this meat, uh, that God created that cow, uh, that it sacrificed, it was just stone, it was just wood. Uh, the people doing it didn't really know what they were doing. They were actually wrong uh, in the entire process. And, and it's just, that's still God's cow. <laughs> you can't take God's cow away from God. Like, God made it. Uh, and, and they're okay with it. Paul is kind of saying, yes. Uh, that's true. Uh, there's only one God, and uh, th- these other things are not really gods at all. And as Christians, we know this, and, and yet he's saying, but be aware of what your neighbor knows. So these other people that might be watching you, what they know, even if they're wrong, what they know matters in how they're going to behave, and how they're going to understand their world, and and part of what's going on, and it actually gets to it in chapter 10, is that the world around them that doesn't believe in Jesus, or doesn't believe in Jesus yet, is drawing false conclusions by what these Christians are doing. So they worship Jesus, and then they go to these, these events, and they're, they're eating this meat. And the people are looking at them, and they're saying, oh, that's very interesting. So you can worship Jesus, and you can worship Zeus. That's the conclusion they're drawing. You can worship Jesus and you can worship these other gods. How fascinating. Maybe I am interested in following Jesus. Right? And, and Paul's saying, ooh, that should make us step back here. That should make us step back because 
because they're wrong, but that doesn't mean that we just go on thinking I'm right, they're wrong, moving on with life. Right? That they're, they're incorrect, but their incorrect attitude is going to lead them in, in a sin direction. And we should care about that. So, so it's getting a little deeper than are you right or are you wrong. It's, it's are you loving someone else well. That's where Paul is going here. Verses 7 through 8. Speaking of this, of this knowledge that, uh, before I read it, speaking of this knowledge that, that there is just one God, uh, Paul says in 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think that it has been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Verse 8, very important. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we eat it, or no better if we do not eat it. So he's saying, this, this is food. We're talking about food, right? <laughs> we're, talking about, we're talking about food. You're making food this thing that you're going to divide over. Food doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make you not holy. That's not, that's not the point. The point is the heart. The point is, is how you're approaching this. If you're approaching this and you're saying, I'm going to eat this food, and I know it was sacrificed to this other God, and I'm just okay with that, and, and you know, whatever, God, God, God will forgive me. Then Paul's saying, I think God is going to have a problem with that. He's going to have a problem with that kind of attitude. But if you're eating it and you're, and you're saying, I'm in my house, I'm hungry, uh, I, I need some food, and, and no one is watching me, and I'm going to eat this food, and I bought it from Market B instead of Market A, it's almost like Paul's just kind of saying, then go ahead and eat. The point is not the food. The point is the other people around you. The point is their relationship with God. Are we, are we looking out for them? Or are we only looking out for ourselves? That line is so important. The food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat or no better if we do. So this meat, this, this sacrifice meat, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing in, in the equation. What matters is the relationship with the other person. And then that does matter enough that what Paul is arguing is that it should actually change your actions. That's the part that, I don't, I don't know about you, I don't really like that part. Like I, I can think intellectually, oh, this matters a lot. Okay, yes, I agree. Sign off on that. Change my actions? change how I behave in the world for the sake of someone else, but, but Paul, don't you know that I'm right? Paul, don't you know? Like, you already agreed with me, Paul. You, you said, yes, yeah, you're right. That, it really, that was God's cow in the first place, and, and then I, sh I should be like, happy, yay, Paul wrote to us, and he agrees with me, right? And then, and then he's like, yeah, but this other person, how, how you're treating them, how you're loving, that matters more. And it matters so much that it's going to affect your actions. It's going to affect whether you eat the meat or you don't eat the meat. And that's when we kind of go, I don't know about that, Paul. What about my rights? What, what about my, I mean, I'm, I'm correct after all. What about my own feelings that, that I want to eat this meat, 
And, and this other person, is it my fault if they are so silly, if they are so uh, poorly educated in this theology, if they're, if they're so wrong that, that they're going to sin because I'm doing something out of freedom? Is that, is that really on me, Paul? Is that really on me? And, and it sounds silly, but we, we do this, right? And many of us, I mean, we can see clear examples of this in our culture today. I mean, I mean, food, maybe not so much, but you shift the conversation to do you drink alcohol or do you not drink alcohol? And then you start talking about your weaker brother and sister and, and maybe someone that has addiction problems and they're with you and, and if you drinking alcohol is going to cause them to stumble, right? It seems pretty obvious, uh, the same kind of thing that's going on. How do I love that person well? And what Paul ends up arguing is that he says, if, if me eating this meat is going to cause someone else to sin, I'll just never eat the meat again. Right? And then, but, but there's part of us that wants to go, but, but Paul, why should you change your actions? You're not wrong. And, and the argument is, where, how does this all line up? Why are they thinking that being right is higher than loving someone else? What in their mind has convinced them that being right about this issue somehow is a higher priority than this other person that they should just love? And what kind of love? Love that actually changes their actions. Right? Not just like lovey-dovey, uh, I don't know, butterflies and rainbows kind of feelings. That's great. But, but true love actually affects how the person behaves. Right? Hope, uh, those, those of you who are married, am I right? <laughs> would, would true love, I mean, if you really are head over heels in love with this person, and it's not, it's not just this feeling, but it's this lifestyle, it should affect how you, how you live your life with that other person. And there's self-sacrifice that happens. Right? So, so what if that other person isn't just this person that you're like head over heels in love with? What if this is your brother and sister in Christ that you have a big divide between? Now it gets a little harder. Right? Now it gets hard. Now you're saying, uh, back into their context, Jewish Christians love the Gentile Christians enough to affect you know, X, Y, and Z. And Gentile Christians love these Jewish Christians enough that it affects X, Y, and Z. And you all start to squirm a little bit. You're like, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like love that causes me not to have to change. (laughs) That's my comfort zone. That's where I like to sit. I like like to think, you know, it's like uh, the old saying goes, you know, love your neighbors as yourself. And then uh, we did a sermon series on this. I think it was last summer. Uh, and the question becomes, what if, you know, we like, to, we like to overly make this huge. I mean, it is true in the Bible, who's my neighbor? Everyone, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, I'm supposed to love everyone. What if that also meant your neighbor? Like the person that lives next door to you. What if Jesus meant it to be everyone and he meant that person? Then we squirm a little bit because we're like, Jesus, have you met them? <laughs> Right? And we get to this same situation here. Jesus, have you met them? Like, you want me to change my behavior for this person? Like, ooh, I don't know. 
Let's jump to, to chapter 10 here. There's some other great stuff in between. Read it on your own time. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 23 through 26. Again, Paul is quoting them. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. Here's a hint when you're reading the Bible. If they repeat it twice, they mean it. I mean, they mean all of it. But like this, uh, what they were writing on, this kind of letter, this kind of system, this was not a cheap process. You weren't going to write it down twice unless you really meant it. And, and he emphasized it here. I have the right to do anything. And he says, but, but it's, it's not all beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Then he goes on, verse 25, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's quoting them again. They said the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, so can't we eat this? He's agreeing, yes. You can eat anything without conscience. He goes on, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. So for their sake. And he goes on, to not be misunderstood, verse 29, he says, I'm referring to the other person's conscience. <laughs> this is not about you. In the, in the middle of the sentence, we want to make about us again. <laughs> he says, this is not about you. I'm referring to them. I'm referring to their own weakness, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? That's the question we want to ask. Why is my freedom being affected by this other person? Verse 30. If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thanked God for? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. So if you go to this meal uh, with this unbelieving neighbor, he's saying, don't, don't worry about what the food is on the table. You don't need to, you don't need to like quiz them. On, you know, what's the situation with this meat? Is it okay? Is it not? Uh, but then he says, if they come forward and they just say, hey, by the way, uh, today we're celebrating this, and I bought this, this special meat, and, it, and it's been sacrificed. And this, this part is assuming that this is not uh, one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is someone else from your community that you're eating with. Uh, and he says, then don't, then don't eat it, because you're going to confuse this person. Again, they're going to think, oh, interesting, Christians can follow Jesus and they can follow these other gods. And, and Paul is saying, you should care about that. <laughs> you should care about that, confu that confusion so much that, that you just wouldn't eat the meat then. And, it, and the key, again, is that it's not that are you right, it's, it's how are you loving them. 
right? That's the higher priority here. When Jesus, when they accepted Jesus into their lives, that, that should have affected the rest of this. That love from Christ uh, should be translating in how well they're loving other people. And they're getting stuck on food. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Second part, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of Christ. So how does this apply to us today? I think it does, right? I think we interact in a complicated world. We're constantly making judgment calls. Am am I supposed to, you know, I kind of understand from Scripture how I'm supposed to live as a Christian and and yet I'm put in this other situation, and do I behave like this? Do I not? Um, sometimes some people can, can think, oh, do I have kind of freedom to do that? And it's like, well, are you loving that person well? You know, it's, it's all these questions. Right? I mentioned alcohol, but there's other things uh, you could bring up in that. And, and the point is, what, what is the ranking system? What are, you, what are you making decisions based on? Is it all about being right? Is it all about being the correct one, even if it sacrifices the relationship? It breaks my heart. I see this over and over again. Really, I feel like really strong Bible-believing Christians that, that when it comes to interacting with siblings, especially as adults, we all know it's complicated, right? Interacting with siblings, interacting with their grown children, interacting with, with anyone around them, that somehow being right has taken center stage. That somehow being right has, has gone above and beyond loving them well. And it doesn't mean we just accept everything that, that everyone, sometimes love can be hard and complicated. But love hardly ever looks like shattering a relationship because you're pretty sure you were right. Right? <laughs> I mean, love, love doesn't really look like that. I mean, that, that's a hard thing to say, but, but love looks like it repairs relationships. Here's what, here's what Scripture says. Uh, I don't need to define it for you. This is from later on in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard it at many, many weddings, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 13. We love to read it at weddings because it's all about love. It's actually about the love of God uh, towards people. We are lucky if we can reflect a little bit of that uh, in how we interact in the world. But, but this is the kind of love Paul is talking about here. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Paul goes on, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes... What is in part disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And then really fascinating here, verse 13. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. Being right didn't even make the list. <laughs> right? I mean, we look at it. This is, a, this is a test, and it's hard to do. So if you're going to do it, just be aware that God will probably work in you. Uh, but I wonder how many of us could read this love is patient, love is kind, you know, go through that and put your own name in there and see if it's still true. Ooh, it, it, it cuts deep. I, I'm, John is patient. John is kind. He does not envy. You're all like, yeah, that sounds like my pastor. Well, I don't know. Ask Susan. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're all, we're all works in progress, right? Um, Susan's my wife, in case you're new at the church. <laughs> um, you know, 1 Corinthians, it, it applies to us. It's about this church, and I'll end with this. It's about this church that accepted Jesus. They accepted this good news. They accepted this love. And then when it came to how did they live this out, they fell flat on their face. They, they, they started living in their same old patterns of life. They started dividing over things that they were so sure that they were right on. And they just let it split them apart. And they, and they ranked things incorrectly. And Paul has to write to them and say, no, love needs to move from here to here, you know, on the scale. And, and, and you, need to, you need to be living this out in your relationships with other people. You need, to be, you need to be living out who this Jesus is, what this forgiveness means. You need to be living it out in, in your relationships with your family and with your community and with, with your coworkers and, and with everyone around you that that they should look at your life and they should feel that, that essence of Jesus somehow coming through. You can't just take this and put it on the mantle and then move on and be like, well, that's my church self. And that person talks this way and they act that way and, and, they're, and they're really uh, kind of holy you know, kind of person. And then, and then when I'm with my work friends, then that person acts this way and and behaves that way. And then when I'm with my spouse, I act this way and I behave that way. And, and when, uh, you know, my children are around, then I'm this way. You know, policy, this is nonsense. This is, then which one's you? You know, why would, why would you get to, to the end of time and, and Jesus would look and say, oh, well, the only one that matters was this one you put on the mantle. <laughs> I mean, I pray he does, but like, you know, I mean, really, if you think about it, like, we're called to live life with Christ. Uh, we're, we're called to live alongside it. And yet we take Scripture too often. We take Scripture and, and, and we create like good moral advice. 
And it's like I, as a pastor, like come forward and I give you your like little scripture like TED Talk. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. <laughs> but I give you like your little scripture, like, like, like here's your scripture moment for the week. Uh, and then you leave that behind when you leave the building. And um, I haven't really looked up the statistics, but, you know, like people, people always talk about um, if you work in a service industry, if you, if you work with food, that Sunday afternoon is a terrible time for tips. Sunday at noon. People go straight from church, they go out to eat, and then, and then they're terrible to servers. Do you know how much road rage happens in church parking lots <laughs> across, across the world? Right? I mean, it should, it should rattle us a little bit. We should be like, what, what is going on? How can I hear about love, and how can I hear about forgiving other people, and then how can I go out, and I don't have that once I get onto Highway 4, if you make it that far. <laughs> I like to go out here, and then I go through the parking lot, and then I take a left. Because that left is kind of nasty right here. Uh, if you're new to town, by the way, that left is nasty. <laughs> They're right on your tail. Uh, you know, it, it's this question of how do, how do we live this out more fully? Uh, and I, for one, I, mean, I, I thank God that this is in the Bible. I, I don't know how to do it. And, I mean, the, the Corinthian church didn't know how to do it. Like, they needed this, this letter to do this well, and we need it. Uh, to do it well. So uh, why don't we pause there for a week. We'll come back to the next chapters next week. Uh, The sermon series will continue. Um, But why don't we stop there and we'll worship uh, and then we'll have communion together. And one of the beautiful things about communion is you uh, you don't have to do all the stuff that was just said right before you come forward. Right, you come forward because this is not this is not our table. This is Jesus's table, and He invites you. He's the one inviting you into relationship. It's not about perfection. It's not about having it all figured out. Uh, it's not about uh, earning it, somehow deserving it. it. It's not. It's not like yeah, I read the whole Bible and I can check it off. Yep, I did First Corinthians perfect, and then I did so, you know, and and you you can't do it. But what you can do is you can come before God who loves us and you can humbly say, I have strayed from you in so many ways in my life. I've walked away from you. I've, I've listened uh, to, to your advice. I've read your word. And, and then I don't live it out. You know? and, and we can come in this beautiful moment and God says, yeah, I'm, I'm still right here. I haven't given up on you. The prodigal son story is always the one that comes to mind. And the son wanders away and, and he gets away and he squanders everything. And, and then we're told as soon as he starts coming back, the father, uh, representing God here, the father sees him on the horizon and he runs to him. This is a moment in communion. This is a moment where, where God is running to you, where God wants to meet you. And not only does God want to, what actually Jesus says is that when you do this, I will meet you. And, and I'll end with this, but I think we can believe that. <laughs> right? I think when Jesus says that, I don't think Jesus is going to lie about it. So, so he says, when you take this meal, I will meet you in that place. Uh, so if you f- haven't felt like Jesus has met you for a while, he's going to. Uh, why don't we pray that, that we open ourselves up to 
to receive that.